You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. On April 4th of 1991, a young 20-year-old woman was stopping at a payphone to call her fiancé to let him know that she was too tired to meet up for their plans and that she was instead going to head home for the night to rest and sleep. While she was on the phone with her fiancé, she would be grabbed and kidnapped. This case had some interesting turns along the way and is still technically unsolved, even though in 2021 a new theory came about. Hello, and welcome to episode 62 of Gone But Never Forgotten, Almost a Superhero, the story of Angela Marie Hammond. Hello, Goners, and welcome back to GBNF. I trust that this episode, like all of our episodes, finds you well. Off the top, I want to remind you to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. You can catch me on any of those platforms, and we can chat true crime. Let me know what you like or don't like about the show, and let me know what causes and cases you would like to see me cover in the future. And of course, please help out the podcast by giving us five-star ratings, follows and shares on whatever platform that you listen to us on. You can also support us by signing up at Patreon as a patron and send it, or by sending one-time donations to gbnfpod at gmail.com. We are 62 episodes in, and I think that we have proven that we are not going anywhere. Tell a friend, support the pod, and come back each and every week to see what story we are telling. For this week, we have another one of those funky unsolved, but maybe solved cases that took place in small town Missouri. Clinton, Missouri is a town in Henry County, Missouri in the United States. In the 1990 census, the population was listed at 8,703. As of the 2020 census, the population was 9,174. So, the town has always been relatively static in terms of population. It is a quiet farming town that's located right in the heart of America. Usually, as we have talked about on episodes in the past, small towns like Clinton usually are protected from major crimes. So, when something takes place, it is shocking and shatters the community to its core. That's what happened to Clinton in 1991. 
They faced a true crime story head-on that is still not closed. The person at the center of the story would be a 20-year-old young woman named Angela Hammond. She was an outgoing young lady who went by the name Angie. She was figuring out her life, close with her family, and she was engaged to Rob Schaefer, a man who was known as a star athlete in high school and that had promised to take care of Angie forever when he proposed to her with a diamond ring. Getting engaged was not the only life change that Angela was going through, though, in 1991. She was also four months pregnant, which means that we're going to, everything we're going to talk about is even more sad. Angela was also working at a bank in the evenings as a processor, and she was attending Central Missouri State University during the days. So, suffice it to say, Angie was a very busy lady. Rob and Angie were renting a home together, and they were pinching together every penny that they could so that they could be ready for the baby when the baby arrived. On April 4th, 1991, it was another one of those busy days for the couple. Angie and Rob went to a barbecue at Angie's mom, Marsha's house. Angie's parents were not still together after going through what was described as an amicable divorce. Rob then had to leave Marsha's home around 9 p.m. to head over to his parents' home so that he could babysit his younger brother for them. Angela would also leave her mom's house to pick up her best friend, and the two had a night of driving around the town and just spending some time together. About two hours later, around 11.15 p.m., Angie would drop her friend off. The plan was for Angela to go over to Rob's parents' home as well, but because she was so tired, she wanted to let Rob know that she was instead going to go home to sleep. Rob and Angie, though, did not have a home phone, and this was long before the age of everyone having a cell phone, so Angie's only option was to go to a payphone and make a call to Rob to let him know that he should not be expecting her. So, that is exactly what Angie did. When Angie called, the two chatted for a while, and Rob of course told Angie that that was fine. While the two of them were talking on the phone, a truck slowly was driving by, and it pulled up close to where Angie was. The payphone that Angie was using was part of a bank of payphones, though, so she didn't think too much of it at first. Angie started to get concerned about the truck, after a while, and she started to describe the truck to Rob just in case, and the truck drove away. However, a couple of minutes later, the truck returned, and this time the truck was parked, and a man got out of the truck, and walked over to the payphone, and went back to his truck again. This time, he came over with a flashlight, and it appeared that he was looking for something. This started to raise Angie's anxiety level, and she told Rob that she was starting to feel uncomfortable. Rob said that perhaps the man was just waiting for her to finish on the phone because maybe the other phone was not working. Rob heard Angie ask the man if he needed to use the phone, but he said no. This made Angie start to describe the man to Rob over the phone. She said that he was a Caucasian man and that he had a beard. She said that he was wearing a baseball hat, and a pair of overalls. She also told Rob that the man was very dirty. What Rob heard next, though, would change his life forever. 
From the other end of the phone came a sharp and shill, shrill scream, and Rob knew that that was Angie. He heard the man say, I didn't need to use the phone anyway. The phone went dead on the other end, and Rob didn't waste any time. He ran out of his parents' home and got into his car to drive to where he knew that Angie would have been making the call from. It was only a short few-minute drive away. While Rob was driving to the spot, he passed a truck and he saw that there was a woman in the passenger seat of the oncoming vehicle, and from a distance, he recognized that the truck matched the description that Angie had given him just a few minutes earlier. And as he got closer, he realized that the woman in the passenger seat was leaning over the driver and screaming out his name. Rob realized that this may be his or anyone's only chance to stop the kidnapper. So he quickly threw his vehicle into reverse to try and facilitate a quick U-turn. The only problem was that in his haste of shifting gears and turning around 180 degrees, Rob had messed up the transmission on his vehicle. Rob did manage to chase the truck a few more miles down the road, but the truck turned down a side road and Rob's vehicle died. Again realizing that this may be Angie's best chance at survival and his best chance at saving her, he quickly got out of his vehicle and started to run after the truck. Realizing that the truck had no intention on stopping, Rob knew he had to turn around and go back to town to get help. He was picked up by another citizen and taken immediately into the police station so that he could report the incident. As I alluded to earlier, this type of situation is not one that is common in small towns, and as such, the police were not really equipped to deal with such a thing, nor were they sure what to make of Rob rushing in at midnight with quite an incredible story. The police did, though, take Rob's statement and started to search for the truck and the man that Angie, that Angie had described to Rob over the phone. Something that is very strange, though, is that police also worked at making a composite sketch of the man that they felt that they were looking for. The image, though, is vastly different than the one that Rob said that Angie described over the phone. The sketch had a man without a hat on and with no facial hair at all. What made things even weirder about this is that when the police were later questioned about the sketch, they said that the man could have been wearing a fake facial hair to conceal his identity. As such, they drew him without the facial hair. I can honestly tell you I have never heard that explanation on a case before. The truck was described to police as an older model, 1960s or 1970s Ford, that was green in color and had some rust. The truck also had a decal that was of a fish jumping out of water. That decal covered the back window of the truck. All that Rob remembered of the license plate was that there was an X on it and a Y on it, but the rest was either rusted or he did not remember. The search for the truck and the man was extensive, and we talked in episode 60 about searching for a vehicle. That vehicle in the Lucas Short Reed case was searched for four years, and eventually it was found on the property of the people that did the crime over a decade later. So, you can imagine that back in 1991, there were even less tools at the disposal of the police to try and track this truck down. 
the Missouri State Highway Patrol did a computer search and came up with a list of 1,600 trucks that fit the description, or even came close to the description, that was given by Angie, but every single one of them was eventually cleared in the case. Police started to question the authenticity of Rob's story, because they were coming up empty. In the beginning, there was not one witness report that placed Angie at the payphones or a truck or corroborated anything that was a part of Rob's story. Eventually, police got Rob to take a polygraph test and he passed. It was deemed that he was in fact telling the truth. Adding to Rob's story, eventually two witnesses would come forward and say that they had seen a truck and a suspicious person around the payphones around the time that Rob said that he and Angie had been on the phone. Angie's car would also be found near the bank of payphones, and Rob's vehicle would of course be found dead with its transmission not working in the place that Rob said it was. About a week after Angie had disappeared, Rob was officially cleared in the missing persons case. Angie's mom, Marcia, had stated from the very beginning that she did not believe that there was any chance whatsoever that Rob would have been involved in this. She said that she had known Rob for his entire life and that he would never do or be a part of something like this, especially involving Angie. As police continued to figure out what they could do next, they looked into cases in the area that had happened that may have a resemblance to Angie's case. They had two hits. On January 19th of 1991, a 42-year-old woman named Trudy Darby was working alone at a convenience store in Max Creek, Missouri. She had called her son to tell him that there was a strange man outside of her store. Her son rushed to the store, but only 10 minutes later when he arrived, he found it deserted. Trudy's body had been found along a river about 10 miles away two days later, and she had been shot twice in the head. The second case took place in mid-February. A 30-year-old woman named Cheryl Kenny would be reported missing in Nevada, Missouri. Cheryl had also gone missing from a convenience store that she worked at. It would be less than one month later that Angie was kidnapped. It was believed by many that the three cases could be connected. Trudy's case would eventually be solved, and the convictions in that case actually came against her half-brothers, Jesse Rush and Marvin Cheney. There are many who have been involved in this in all of these cases who actually believe that Jesse and Marvin were involved in both of these cases as well, but to date, neither have been charged. Essentially, there have been three prevailing schools of thought on this case. The first was that Angie had been kidnapped and killed by a serial killer. In the state of Missouri in 1991, there were two active serial killers. Kenneth McDuff was one, and Tommy Sells was the other. Both victimized young women, and it's believed that either could have been the person that took, and likely ultimately killed Angie. Both have now been executed, so if that is what happened, it is unlikely that we will ever know the truth. The second theory is that there, this was a crime of opportunity, much like the one that we talked about in episode 61 on Kitty Genovese. It's believed that if this was the case, 
Someone had perhaps been following Angie while she drove around with her friend and waited for the perfect opportunity to grab her. The payphone would have provided that perfect opportunity. One of the holes in this idea, though, is that while the perpetrator waited for the right moment to grab Angie, he also was giving her time to describe him and the truck to whoever was on the other end of that phone call. The third theory is one that has risen up relatively recently. Police stated that they had received a tip on their tip line that indicated a person of interest in this case. Police said that this was someone that they had investigated previously in the case, but they have not released the name of that person. And then we have 2021. In 2021, there was another theory presented, or a solution to the case, depending on who you listen to and how you feel. In April of 2021, on the 30th anniversary of Angie's abduction, police shared a ransom note that was given to them by an unnamed informant very early on in the case. The ransom note was posted on April 4th, 1991, the same day that Angela was nabbed at that payphone and had been a part of her case file ever since. But police did not know how to connect the ransom note to her case. Well, in 2021, the police released what they knew about the connection. They believe now that Angie's disappearance could have been a case of mistaken identity and that the intended target was the daughter of a law enforcement agent who had been working as an informant within a drug cartel. That agent had received a letter that said, People like you deserve what you get. We know where your foxy daughter is at. She will see us soon. As this was dove into deeper, investigators did in fact find that Angela Hammond and the daughter of the officer also ironically was named Angela. They bore striking similarities to one another. The final connection was that Angela, the daughter of the informant, was also living in Clinton, Missouri at the time that Angela Hammond was abducted. The police have noted that this case is not closed. They are still working on the case and working to either prove or refute this mistaken identity theory, but so far they believe that this may be the answer that they have long been looking for. So, it would seem that police are chasing two possibilities, or one, depending on whose reporting you trust. The first was the anonymous informant who put someone's name on their radar that they had previously been investigating in Angie's case. And of course, the second is this case of mistaken identity. Some people believe that the two are intertwined and in fact all part of one working theory in this case. Only time may tell, and hopefully we can get some closure in this case as well. Sadly, in May of 2021, 30 years after Angela was taken, Marsha Cook would pass away without finding out who was responsible for whatever happened to her daughter, or without having the closure of locating her remains. There are still plenty of rewards in this case and plenty of people working towards the resolution of one of America's most notorious missing person cases. At the time of her disappearance, Angela Hammond was 4 foot 11 and weighed between 120 and 140 pounds. She had brown eyes and brown hair. So what we get here, as the title alluded to, 
is a case of a man who very nearly got to be a superhero and save the day when he was almost able to follow the man that had kidnapped his fiancée. The horrid turn of events could be nothing less than haunting, though, when his transmission blew and he could do nothing but helplessly watch on as the truck that the kidnapper and his fiancée were in drove off into the distance, seemingly to never be seen again. If you know anything about Angela Hammond and this case, it is never too late to call authorities and give them information, and this includes the person that called in previously. Angela and Angela's mother may have passed on, but there are still plenty of people that knew her and know of this case that deserve to see a resolution and at the very least have an ending to the story, if not justice for Angie. For this week, that is all we have on this case of Angela Hammond, and I hope that we can give you an update on this case in the very near future and at least put an end to a story that haunts many in America and many around the world. Let's finally find out what happened to Angela Hammond in 1991. Until then, please jump over to Patreon after you listen to this episode, sign up as a patron, and I will give you some deeper thoughts from my perspective on this case, what I think, what I think may have happened, and feel free to start up dialogue with me there as well. Until next week, thank you for listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Be safe, be vigilant, and be better.